0: This podcast contains themes of suicide and may upset some listeners. If you're struggling with your mental health and need to talk now, call Lifeline anytime. They're available 24 hours, seven days a week.
1: You know, I'd have this great big grin on me and i was dying on the inside
2: this paralysis of just not being able to do things that gave me pleasure
3: i hated the world hated the farm
1: ultimately wanted to sell it everything that was going wrong in my life was somebody else's fault a lot of men and women will
2: say i just don't feel right
1: aussies love the bush but sometimes the bloody bush doesn't love us back i'm john harper Just a simple joker talking about why mental health is everybody's business and what to do if you think a mate is struggling.
0: This podcast is a Room 3 production and brought to you by our mates at gotcha for life and the Murrumbidgee Primary Health Network. You'll be hearing the lived experiences of everyday folk in rural and remote Australia. The language can be strong at times and references of suicide may upset some people. So consider who's around when listening. The advice in this podcast is of a general nature and it's not an excuse for you not seeing your own GP or medical professional. Mate Helping Mate has plenty of links on our website of trusted service providers across the country. Head to matehelpingmate.org.au
3: All I remember telling the doctor when I got there was, I'm just done. I'm tired. I don't want to do it anymore. I want it to go away. I just want it to stop. When I was in that fetal position contemplating how I was going to end it all because I just wanted the pain to go, I was trying to make this plan. How can I do this to the least detriment of my kids? You know, my biggest thought was I don't want my kids to find me. And I think it took that black hole for me to realise what am I showing my kids? What kind of a parent do I want to be? You know. So I'd come good for a while, and then something would happen in a relationship that would send me spiralling down again and then it'd take me another couple of weeks to get back to where I was. You know, life's going to keep happening to all of us. But eventually you develop enough stamina, enough value in yourself that you realise this is just life doing, doing its thing. It, this will pass, things will get better. And, you know, two weeks later you're going, oh, today's actually a really good day.
2: I think everyone bubbles along we have our ups and downs and that and being able to recognize when things are not going so good is really important where if we're talking about people that are isolated then it's really really difficult and it takes a hell of a lot of guts to put your hand up and say something's wrong.
1: Today at the Rabbit Patch we have Julie Andreazza a farmer from Wilbriggy an irrigation farmer actually Julie's been through the mill, dealt with the shit, but through perseverance, family, and maintaining some faith and hope, she's come through the other side. It's great to have somebody so passionate and committed as Julie on the farm. So, welcome, Julie.
3: Thank you, John. We're pleased to be here and I appreciate your lovely words. <laughs> I'm just a farmer like everyone else, so just trying to help others, that's all. I
1: often say that just a farmer and people have a go at me and they say, you're more than just a farmer, but I'm actually proud to be a farmer or just a farmer. That's enough
3: for me. Do you find the same? I married a farmer 30 years ago and if you ask him, I was a city girl and I was not even going to live on the farm. Really? Really? <laughs> and um, once we had our kids and got to realise what a good lifestyle it was, I'm glad we um, had the chance to live out on the farm. It's the best life for kids and it's the only place to raise a family. So I'm really grateful to call, to call myself a farmer now. i grateful that I listened to my husband and stayed on the farm
1: <laughs> Yeah,
3: when we first got married.
1: So you young fellas out there, there's hope. So you can see we're not just farmers. Julie's husband, Glenn, was not just a farmer. He was a charmer.
3: Oh he was and he still is. <laughs> and um I'll say that quite wholeheartedly he saved my life so I'm going to I'm going to brag about my husband all day long. I spiraled to a deep depression and if it wasn't for my husband and my kids I I wouldn't have gone and sought help which is what I needed to do and at the time I didn't I was in such a deep Dark hole that I didn't know how to help myself, and I was lucky enough to have my family around me to keep an eye on me. And that the minute he saw there was trouble coming, he just stepped into action and did what he had to do. And I guess I'll I'll say lucky that I listened to him because you can be non non compliant and think oh, I don't need any help. I I got this, but I knew I needed help at the time because I wanted to get better. I needed to get better. So yeah.
1: Well, I think we all want to get better. I understand this business about the importance of listening. I mean, even today, I often won't do what's good for me just because my wife, Michelle, told me, just because it was her. (laughs) If it was somebody else, I would have listened. And I mean, ultimately, with me, when I went to the doctors, I didn't go because it was good advice from my wife. I went because I just wanted to shut her up. And egg, again, but, uh, yeah, I can see that point.
3: Yeah, men have got a thing which is probably a little bit harder for for you blokes. You know, you've got this masculine image that, you know, you you've got this pride that you can't sort of say, oh, there's something wrong. Whereas women probably, oh, especially me, love to talk. I call myself a talker. So people can tell straight away when I'm not right. They'll be like, why are you so quiet? What's up with you? So was it one thing that brought you unstuck? You know, I always
1: believed it was because, you know, I gave up shearing of all things. But in hindsight, there was a whole lot of little things that gradually built, it was one thing that tipped me over. Do you think it was one thing that brought you undone or was there a myriad of little things?
3: Well, with me, I think it was the straw that broke the camel's back. I mean, I had a myriad of things that happened in a very short succession of time. And then the final last straw just tipped me and that's when I went over the edge. So, I mean, just really briefly, my story, um, you know, I lost my father all in a matter of 12 months. I lost my father to a sudden fatal heart attack two days before Christmas In January, my husband suffered myocarditis and I was at St. Vincent's Hospital with him, not knowing whether he was flying home with me on wrecks or I was taking him home in a box. Um, That's how bad that got. And then in March, we got a telephone call from a detective to say that our pedophile case that was underway was going ahead, that the person had been arrested. And then I had to deal with my family not coping with the grief of losing my father and then the grief of um us coming out with our story of what had happened to one of my children um and then i had a i had a fall and ended up in hospital broke my nose um and then by the end of the year we got to the actual sentencing of the court case and that was that was the breaking point we we went to the court case and then i was actually cut off by my my extended family because they couldn't cope with it all. And that, I think, is what did it because I, I always needed their support. I was so close to my, my sisters and my brother and my mum, and when they cut me off, that, that really did me. Um, but I had my husband and my kids, and they looked after me. And I just spiralled. I I actually don't ever... There were conversations that I don't remember having. I I couldn't go back to work. You know, I had to actually resign because I couldn't even... For me, putting a meal on the table was an exhausting event that I had to then take a nap from. I just couldn't function.
1: They've been saying for quite a while now that for people to deal with adversity successfully they need to be connected they need a sense of belonging so i mean being made an outcast by your family have you had to develop other connections Definitely. A sense of belonging say with friends or yeah
3: i'm glad you asked me that because that's actually the biggest thing that helped me because when i was felt isolated i mean i had my husband and my four adult children had my in-laws who were amazing like i had my, that family, my family, but that disconnect, that feeling of belonging. Um, I think that's what broke me in the end because that is important. Um, so then I, once I started to get better and I got my medication, I started to feel a little bit normal again. I set about working on my social life, reconnecting with old friends, ringing the neighbour. You know, I've got a wonderful neighbour who'll just text me and go, "Let's go for a walk around the farm." So you know, she'll come to mine or I'll go to hers and we'll just go for a walk around the paddock. And she doesn't even realise how much help that has given. Me. Me and it's those connections that I've now created a whole new family with my friends and I've got a couple of really great friends that I know I can just pick up the phone and go, I'm really having a shit day today. Like and they'll be like, Come around, we'll have a coffee or you know, and that's all I need sometimes and just knowing that there's someone out there that'll listen to me and not not judge me or cut me off.
1: So that was all work that all required an effort by you where did the energy come from Um, because I know when you're flat (laughs) you got sweet bugger all oh
3: I was so flat and you know what it feels like I mean like I say from my day when I was at my worst I would cook dinner and put a load of washing on that was it. I was spent for the day. And it was my husband that would drag me out and go, come on, I'm going to town. i got to pick up some parts. And I'd be like, no, I'm on the lounge. Parts. I'm, yeah, anything, <laughs> just to get me out of the house. And I'd be like, leave me alone. I'm sleeping. Not nah, just you're coming. Jump in the ute. And I'd be like, I don't want to see anyone. And he'd be like, no, you're coming. So he'd literally stick me in the ute and I would sit in the car in the ute while he went and picked up all the parts. we drove around town, then took me home. And that was... My first step, he got me out of the house. And then slowly, slowly with time, Glenn's one that he loves to, he loves dinners, you know, Saturday nights. He reckons he cooks on Saturday nights. So he takes us out for dinner. So that
1: sounds like me. <laughs> yeah, that's his night
3: to cook. So we usually go for pizza or whatever. And then we started thinking, oh, well, let's invite some friends along. So, you know, we'd ring a couple of friends or the kids had come. And now I look forward to the weekends because I'm reconnecting with my friends and. We have a chat. Even if I'm a bit flat, they'll say, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, I had a bit of a rough week, but, you know, I'm here now. Let's have a drink, you know. So it's developed over time and it was exhausting and at a lot of times – I wouldn't have been much company in the beginning. Like, I didn't even like myself. I don't know why anyone else wanted to go out and have a meal with us. But that's not
1: the reality, isn't it? When we go down, we lose touch with reality. We we think that other people don't care about us, whether that's our partners, our friends, whatever. Really, if you're in such a low spot, you wonder why, say, Glenn made the effort to make you go out. In hindsight, have you ever talked to him?
3: Why did yeah. you make me go
1: out? You muggle.
3: Definitely. I think I was lucky enough that um, I'm quite um, humbled is the word I'm going to say, to say that he loves me so much that all he kept saying was, I wasn't going to lose you, I wasn't going to lose you, I was going to do whatever it took. And I get emotional thinking about that because I, I don't know why I deserve that. And sometimes I still think how lucky am I to have him because if you've got someone that cares about you that much that isn't going to let you go, they'll do whatever it takes and he did.
1: I I suppose in my work, I've been advocating for a long time, 2006, we often hear that sort of talk or that sort of feeling from people like Glenn after we've lost somebody in hindsight. Yes. I mean, it's bloody great to hear it, that somebody (laughs) is actually acting on those feelings and those relationships prior to a crisis. I mean, far out. yeah
3: amazing and i think it's because he did see it and um and even now i I say i'm well i am better i mean obviously i get emotional i'm just an emotional person (laughs) and i'm heaps better but i think it's not so much that there's no access for farmers and the country people i think the access is like the stuff's out there you know we've got apps and we've got lifeline and we've got triple O. we've got all these people we can ring it's more that Educating people and giving people the courage to say, "Hey, I need a hand," or educating people to understand the signs, so that if I if I didn't have Glenn, someone else could have noticed it, you know. And if if you've got a friend that can say, "Oh, I heard this podcast" or "I read this book," you know, you're sure you're okay. Maybe and that one friend making that one comment could be enough to pull you out of a hole because. None of us want to hear any more suicide stories.
1: And that's the ultimate goal of these podcasts is to empower ordinary people like you and me and those out there listening to be confident enough to get off their ass to help others and to help themselves. So if we go back a bit, when you were in the bottom of the dark hole you believed you didn't know where to go all night. That's yeah. slightly different to me. I, I felt when I was at the hole, I knew what I had to do. I just couldn't do it, and I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I do not know. But.
3: I was done. For me, it was a bit of a stigma. Like, you know, I'm tougher than that. I can handle, I'm a better person than that. So
1: did you go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist? Psychologist. So how did you end up linking with a psychologist at the bottom of the black hole?
3: Well, there. What I, yeah. was the journey? My husband tells me that it was, and I don't remember this, that we'd sat at the table, we'd just had dinner, we'd just had a conversation, and then I'd asked the question and we'd just had the conversation. And he said, we just talked about that. And I went, no, we didn't. And then I went and sat in the lounge because I was all upset thinking, oh, this is embarrassing. And he came in there and just, I I don't know if he said, I was rocking backwards and forwards or I was just in a daze and it was at that point that he knew and he reckons he just put me to bed and rang the doctor the next morning got me to the gp the next morning and all i remember telling the doctor when i got there was i'm just done i'm tired i don't want to do it anymore i want it to go away i just want it to stop and i was i didn't care at that point i was just i didn't i just wanted to fix i just wanted the pain to go away i couldn't i couldn't handle the pain anymore it was too much i was tired mm. and not having the support of my mum really killed me. But I understand now that at the time she needed support herself because she was missing my dad. So she couldn't cope herself. And even my sisters couldn't cope. So, you know, we were all in a bad place and I was just lost. And um, I'd never felt that way before. And I understood at that moment what suicide was.
1: So what, the medication helped you get over the hump and then move to the next stage, psychologist? Or not really? I
3: I think it was a combination of everything because it took a few weeks obviously for the medication to work as we know it doesn't kick in straight away so in the interim um i don't know whether the doctor told my husband or he just made the decision i was never left alone like and now looking back i realise that didn't matter at what point in the day there was always either my husband or one of my kids were with me they never left me on my own Smart move. so whether the doctor told him that i don't know but in hindsight i go oh okay that was smart and in the meantime, he made a point of getting me connected with friends. My psychologist had a couple of, you know, sessions there. And I started doing a little bit of exercise, starting just going for walks. You know, I dragged my butt out, didn't feel like doing it. And my daughter was so good. She got me going into the gym. Come on, mum, come do it with me. And i would be like, oh, I can't do this. And I can see now they were all doing stuff in their own way to just help me, drag me out. Until one day I was like, oh, I might go for a walk. And they're like, awesome, mum. <laughs> Because I well decided for myself to do it.
1: So that part of your story is really got some good tips in it, I suppose. One is, is how frustrating and annoying people like us are when we're coming up. The, the amount of effort and perseverance by the people around us who care for us have to put in, you know, we know, you and I both know, it's not easy for our carers.
3: Oh, it's incredible. You know, everyone has issues with their husbands, partners, whatever, and, you know, Glenn and I fight, we have our doozies, but, you know, at the end of the day... To be lucky enough to have someone that will do that for you is a real gift. And, you know, if it's not your partner, it could be a friend, it can be anyone. It's just a matter of showing an interest and showing that you care. That's all all I needed at the time, just knowing that someone actually cared about me and realising that I valued to someone.
1: But I also like the fact that your family was thinking bigger it wasn't just medication it wasn't just the psychologist there was exercise there was all these other avenues there was a myriad of things that brought you down but there was a lot of things that brought you up
3: Yep, I was very lucky very lucky
1: and I know you even talk about now how much you get out of having a coffee with your girlfriends and that I mean and sometimes that's brought about by well, you seeing them struggle.
3: Yes. But then
1: it makes you feel good as well.
3: Definitely. And for me anyway, talking helps to heal me. And when I hear other people's stories, it makes me realise it's not just me. And being grateful, communicating, staying connected, doing exercise, taking the medication, it's all part of it. I I can't pick one thing. You know, if someone says, Oh, but did the medication help? Well, Yes and no. I took it. I don't know if it helped, but I took it. And proud to say I did for two and a half years and now I'm off it. People, it's like they're embarrassed to take, you know, Prozac or whatever you have to take. You know, if I had high blood pressure, I'd take my high blood pressure tablets. It wouldn't be a problem. If I had a headache, I'll take my Panadol. But because I've got a mental illness and I'm taking Prozac, that's embarrassing. We need to lose that stigma because if that's the one thing that's going to help someone, do it. Because your life's worth more than that.
1: And how did you get off the medication? Did you just decide yourself, or you discussed it with the doctor, with your family?
3: Yeah, definitely. I I, I followed instructions from the beginning because I knew I wasn't in a state to help myself, and I was keen to get off the tablets because I hate taking medication. Everybody I mean, does. Everybody does. And you know, and my mum raised me that way that you know, before you take a Panadol, man, you've got to be like really sick. Okay, so I wasn't a medication person, and I'd go to the doctor you know, because so I had my monthly visits, my fortnightly visits. Every time I go, can I go off it now? Can I go off it now? She'd be like, no, no, a bit longer, a bit longer, you know, until obviously she was keeping an eye on my progress and she was talking to my family as well, knowing where what I was doing behind the scenes. And one day she just said, yeah, I think you're right now. I, when I went home and said, I don't need to fill this script anymore. And my oldest son goes, hey, guys, mum's not broken anymore. <laughs> not broken. <laughs> so now it's a bit of a joke.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. I if you can't laugh about oh, it. You got it. Yeah. But it's true. I mean, politically correct speaking says you're not to say them sorts of stuff. But I mean, that's what we feel. And I mean, that's the challenge, isn't it? We don't want anybody else to see that we see ourselves as broken, as as failures, as, as whatever else. You went through GPs, psychologists. You had the kids. You had your friends. You accessed all of those. You realised you're in a bloody black hole.
3: And I think it took that black hole for me to realise what am I? What am I showing my kids? What kind of a parent do I want to be? You know, when I was in that fetal position, contemplating how I was going to end it all because I just wanted the pain to go. I was trying to make this plan. How can I do this to the least detriment of my kids? You know, my biggest thought was I don't want my kids to find me. Uh, Where will I do this? no I need to do this somewhere where it's not going to leave a bad memory because then they won't be able to walk in the house the things that go through your mind now I think about it, it's incredible but
1: but can you see that even in that black hole there was a vision you wanted your vision was that you were going to be a good mother and to be a good mother you couldn't couldn't leave uh, that you couldn't put your kids through a trauma yep so I mean and this is I think the very crux of the whole matter when you're in the black hole and that you need a vision a positive vision i mean
3: and the kids saying to me mum we need you and you know and glenn's saying to me this family needs you like you gotta you gotta get it together you know and so the minute they start saying that we need you you start thinking well okay what's my plan gonna be okay i've reached a slump things aren't great how do i fix this and you don't know how to fix it so that's where you start thinking suicidal thoughts but then when the minute someone says well let's go to the doctor you go oh there's something i can do it's a risk, but let's try it.
1: But once again, it's the terminology. It's the, I mean, the experts tell us you don't tell somebody they've got to pull their socks up. In just your story you just said then, your family didn't tell you to get your act together. No. They told you what?
3: They, they told me they needed me. They
1: needed you.
3: They needed and me. I mean, and I went, what what? Yeah. what do you need me for? You know, exactly, because you had such a low opinion of exactly, yourself. Exactly, I was in such a bad place. But, I mean, and
1: that's probably a great message for any carers or people out there that are concerned about a mate and that. It's not about telling them to get their act together. Oh, never say that, ever, you know, ever, ever. I mean, it's, it's about. It's and, not and a choice. I mean, it's the truth. I mean, all of you have lost a mate and everything else. You think about it in hindsight. Why do you miss them so much? Because you need them in your life. Ah! It's we not actually
3: them. a choice that you make. You know, you're actually trying to get rid of the pain. Yes. And in your mind at the time, it's a solution. Unfortunately, the repercussions of that are terrible. And you're not thinking, well, you are thinking of that, which is why you try to plan it. But the fact is you're trying to make the pain go away because that pain is like nothing you've ever felt before and you can't make it stop any other way. So knowing that someone still needs you gives you a reason to go, okay, maybe I should make an effort or maybe I should do something different. And again, you know. When- so there's
1: options yeah. of relieving the pain. Yeah. Is you that, just want to relieve the pain. Yeah, solution that we think is the only one.
3: Yeah. And the minute someone offers you something else, it's like, okay, well, rather than doing that, why don't we go to the GP or why don't we go and see a psychologist or why don't we go and have a coffee? And you go, okay. And As much as that might be so scary, you do it because you've got no other option. So you try it and you have to try it. You have to take that leap of faith. And that's exactly what it is because it may not work. You might go, okay, I'll come to the GP and it may not work. You're still for the same for the next six months. But just keep trying. Try something else. was your
1: journey straightforward once you got moving forward? Um, did you have setbacks at all, or, or or were you reasonably lucky? I'd say in in that you just powered on.
3: Yeah, I think I, I did have setbacks. I'd come good for a while, and then something would happen in a relationship that would send me, you know, spiraling down again. And then it'd take me another couple of weeks to get back to where I was. Or you know, life's going to keep happening to all of us, and stuff's going to happen. And when you're vulnerable like that, those little things that happen and trigger you are going to make you go down again. But eventually, you develop enough stamina and enough of valuing yourself that you realize and you start to watch yourself and you start to go well, okay this is just life doing doing its thing it, this will pass things will get better now I, I catch myself I guess I kind of hover over and watch myself and go okay you're looking a bit flat today or you haven't been for a walk in two weeks what are you doing so then I go okay even if I'm not in the mood okay I'm going for a walk today because I know that if I let that non-exercise period go for too long I'm going to start slumping again
1: You've got to work at maintaining good habits. Yes,
3: nip it in the bud. It's not like, oh, I don't have depression anymore, but I know now that I have to manage it. So the minute I start to feel a bit flat, I'm like, oh, I'm having a bad day. So I know I've got to do something that makes me happy. So whatever that is, I don't know, go to yoga, go for a run, go out for dinner stay away from alcohol. All those things that you know are going to trigger you, don't do them. Do the things that are going to make you feel happy. And then that forms a good habit, creates a good attitude, and you start to get into that happy cycle instead of the negative cycle. Now, what are your base strategies? Communication for me is a big thing. Talk to people, talk to each other.
1: Is that easy? Now you're in a good place. Now I'm in a good
3: place. It's easy because I love to talk, but back then it wasn't. I was trying to hide it. So if someone tries to talk to you, try to listen and try to accept the help. That's the biggest thing because when you're in that point, you're not going to want to talk. But if someone offers you help or someone says, come for a coffee, say yes, even if you're not in the mood. Exercise. Obviously, you know, all the the things we're taught, exercise, eat well, drink lots of water and try to get some sleep. That was one thing. I didn't sleep much in the beginning. Try to get some sleep. And um, stay connected to the good people in your life because remember that we're all worth it and, you know, there, there are answers out there. You just need to feel safe with someone to actually find those answers.
1: And maintain connection. Yes. I mean, during this drought or the climbing conditions, as they say, the water situation, all of that, the reality is that as an individual, most of us can do sweet bugger all about it. I think all of us go through life and, and try and want to know what the meaning is, and and life is shit at times, mm-hmm. far out. I never want to go through depression or, or considering suicide again, but I think that experience has made me a better person.
3: I'm almost grateful for having gone through it, and that's one thing I, I try to practice every day, gratefulness.
1: So, so do you do being grateful? Okay, do you do it formally? So I know at times when people get really down, professional people might get them to do a journal or something and write down three good things that happen in their day. Or do you just do think about? It? Are you that formal, or you just try and think of something decent as you drift off to sleep?
3: I, I just, I, I guess, I just take a deep breath when something good happens in a day. You know, I might sit down to a nice meal and go, "Oh, this is delicious!" Geez, I did a good job of dinner tonight, and. When all the kids enjoy it, I go, oh, this is this is the best. That's a grateful moment for me. And then there's the more formal ones, like last night my daughter did her last HSC exam, and literally she said, "Are we going to celebrate?" So father went to the fridge, pulled out a bottle of moe, and the six of us just did a big cheers because we finished school. So you know we'll do formal things like that, and we make it happen. And she's like, "You're going to open the moe?" Damn straight I am. I said, "Why not?" (laughs) So you got to make a moment out of it. You got it.
1: I think that's great. I think you've reinforced a lot of points from an ordinary person from just a farmer we've just got to keep making that point yeah talk eat well sleep well talk but that's the odd thing with mental health and I'm sure that's why us people in the bush struggle with it because it is about talking we like action yes we like action we hate talk but in regards to mental health the action is talk so thank you very much Julie
3: thank you John thank you for having me and um, keep doing what you're doing you're doing an amazing job
1: I'm going to leave it up to you youngins. full of vinegar and piss. Go for it, girl.
3: Thanks,
0: John. This podcast has been made possible by our mates at the Gotcha for Life Foundation. Gotcha for Life was established to reverse the tide of declining mental health and to reduce suicide rates by taking action and having a positive outcome on mental health. Gotcha for Life enables communities to build mental fitness, social connection, emotional muscle and resilience. Head to gotchaforlife.org to catch events, get involved or donate. This podcast has also been brought to you by the Murrumbidgee Primary Health Network, also known as the MPHN for short. The MPHN's Empowering Our Communities grant is a government's way of walking the talk, demonstrating their commitment to supporting families and communities living with the impacts of drought with a focus on mental health and wellbeing. Hey, podcasters,
1: I am sitting here in my mate's office, Rural Outreach Counselling in Wagga, to hear some wisdom from a bloke that I've spent a lot of time with over the last 10 years. When I've seen jokers out there struggling, be they blokes, women, whatever, I often call up me mate Posty, see what he thinks, and often he takes that extra step. He'll connect with these people, he will go out, to their properties and deal with them face-to-face if we think there is a need there. Posty is a fine example of the best that professional mental health service providers should be in that he gets off his bum intervening early to help people before suicide, before they hit a crisis. So, Posty, I'm privileged, and the podcasters are privileged to hear some of your wisdom, mate. G'day, mate. Uh, Thanks, John. A lot
2: of us, uh, we get a gut feeling that something ain't quite right, so it's time to do something about it.
1: Well, it was interesting in uh, Julie's story, if we're going to talk about gut feeling, when she gets the feeling, or she can recognise when she is starting to struggle now, with life, with the challenges, and she is smart enough or she has enough positive strategies to pick her up. When people get some professional help,
2: whether that's um, going and see their GP or whether they're seeing a counsellor, oftentimes they will note when they're starting to feel a bit off or feeling a bit down or something ain't quite right, then they can actually pick themselves up. They can do stuff to turn things around. And I think Julie spoke about... When she hasn't run for a few days or hasn't walked for a few days or done something that she really enjoys, she'll get back in and do it again. Now, she and needs to get that turns going. it around. Yeah. And recognising some of the good things in her life she was talking about, um,
1: what she's grateful for, so those gratitudes. And I suppose that also highlighted that mental health is everybody's business. You've come across as a professional and saying how these positive strategies pick her up and prevent her falling down. Now, in her talk, she talks about endorphins and stuff. Uh, Chrissy McGregor in another podcast talks about the same sort of stuff. That language comes from professional people. The actual strategy she's put in place has been aided and abetted by people closer to her. Her walking was, I think, initially started off by a daughter. Her husband was very pushy in getting her to go out and have coffee and that. So there's all these levels come through, isn't there, that there's a role in anybody's mental health journey for professionals and ordinary people. Everyone has a role. We can take that role
2: a little bit further in as much as being game enough and brave enough to say, hey,
1: things look a little bit off. We can do something about it one of the things that I hear from people is, do you ever get better? And, and Julie kind of talked about it, how it was two steps forward, one step backwards. Do you ever get better? Are you ever fixed in italics?
2: Oh, I'm not sure whether we could say fixed. I think everyone bubbles along. We have our ups and downs and that. And sometimes we, um, we might think we're fixed And the biggest thing I run across is people think they're fixed, so they automatically stop taking their medication. I think that there's a time and place for medication. Some people have to stay on medication. Other people can wean off medication over a long period of time. But being able to recognise when things are not going so good is really important. And everyone in each of these podcasts have talked about noticing when they're not quite right and they've now got the strategies to be able to do something about they're more brave to actually put their hand up where if we're talking about people that are isolated then it's really really difficult and it takes a hell of a lot of guts to put your hand up and say
1: something's wrong. So with people you deal with you know once you've done your initial job with them is that the end of it do you hear from these people again or, or basically they're right forevermore? I think that's a really, really good point. And I think it's, uh, it
2: goes along with, are people ever fixed? And do I ever see people again after we initially deal with what's happening for them? I don't need to see people forever and a day. We don't live in a society where someone needs therapy or counselling for every circumstance that pops up. However, quite often I will see people maybe 12 months down the track or 18 months down the track. Something else happens in their life. And they put their hand back up again and say, this is what's happened. What can I do to deal with
1: this? My last lot
2: of strategies are not working
1: with this problem. There's probably a twofold reason I'm presuming is one that life is ever changing, just like the ageing process. So then really we have to be constantly changing. The other thing is may be that they retap you so they, they maintain confidence. They might have a little bit of doubt or shakiness. They just want to reinforce that they're still going forward. I quite regularly
2: will have people come back after two or three years with something that may have happened and they just wanted to reassure themselves that those strategies are still working sometimes that gives me a great opportunity to develop some new strategies with them because it is a little bit like the ageing process. Nothing stays the same.
1: And I suppose the beauty is it comes back to what another podcaster fellow talked about, Chris Wilson, was that it is okay not to be okay for a day and that these people understand that not feeling okay doesn't extend three days, week, two weeks. And that's the beauty that comes out with Julie's story and she's smart enough to put in place strategies. I think, too, the other thing that Chris
2: talks about is it's a bloody shame if you don't do anything about it. And I think that highlights what Julie was saying, that recognising she notices when things are not quite right. Chris's comment about it's a bloody shame if you don't do something about it sort of really sticks to the point that... We can tick along and things can fall off, but if we recognise that it's, something's going wrong, then we'll reach out and get help. And that's where I see people return and two or three years, four years down the track and say, look, this has happened. And some a lot of times those appointments are not very long and they I might only see
1: those people for a few sessions. One of the things that I really enjoyed with my discussion with Julie was and you could only hear it podcast as I could see it is how grateful she was for the things around her her family her children whatever else she's in a good place now and she's grateful for it is that one of the symptoms that you might realize when you're struggling is that you can't see anything in your life that you're grateful for you don't get any pleasure I mean
2: yeah oftentimes I'll ask people to think about three good things in their day and when you're pretty flat it's bloody hard to think about three good things. So one of those three good things might be that you got yourself out of bed at seven o'clock in the morning instead of ten o'clock and the second good thing could be that you actually went and made some breakfast or you had some breakfast or you had a cup of coffee. The other good thing is that you walked outside and the dog's sitting there laughing at you.
1: That's really good advice, appreciating the small things. I mean, it's like, I'm not a flower man, but I mean the things like they say, you know, just stop and smell the roses.
2: Yeah, and I think Julie really nailed it there too, John, as um, she was having some journaling or doing some journaling and she was encouraged to do journaling and um, she found that she didn't need to do that and she was doing it in other ways and some of that was through that gratitude stuff. Again, I go back to I encourage people to look at three good things when they get up in the morning or three good things by nine o'clock and that they can have a look at that they've got those three good things by nine o'clock. And then as people progress along, maybe three good things at night and that then develops that ability to start to reflect. Um, when we have the opportunity to reflect, it's like what you were talking about, smelling the
1: roses. And as Julie was talking, she appreciates it. She's grateful for being able to have coffee with friends. She's grateful for being able to walk with her daughter. And for those out there, it's all around us. If you want some ideas of where you are at, whatever, look around you. Is your place dull and boring? Are the blinds down? Are you struggling? Are you making the bed? I mean, for blokes, what's your ute like? What's your tractor like? Is it full of dust, never been cleaned for about 10 years? Or is it reasonably Mickey Mouse? Is it right? Is it a decent working area? They're all the things that I notice. I noticed when I was flat, my workshop was a mess. I mean, Mrs. still reckons it's a mess, but for me, I think it's fairly tidy. But it is interesting. I think it is indicative. And Julie showed it. I mean, she couldn't get out of bed. It was a drudgery. All she could do was the meals, whatever. And when she's in a good place, how much more energised? She doesn't even talk about that when she's good. She's talking about coffees and perhaps the opportunity to get out and talk to other people. And, And I agree with her. I think this is one of the best things that people need to do, that bush people really struggle with is that we want action but in regards to mental health the action or the physical activity we really need to partake is to talk but the challenge for most of us who are really flat is getting the energy isn't it is getting the motivation where does that come from if the individual, if you're sitting out there in the bloody tractor and you, and you've only got enough energy to go round and round and go home and go to bed, where does the freaking energy come from? You're right. There's, where
2: do you get that energy? I think it becomes uh, more of a brain energy that more so than the physical energy. The physical energy is definitely there, and I don't care what anyone says. They've got the physical energy to do it. So... What do you do with your brain and your mind and that to actually say, I'm actually going to go and do it? And Julie highlighted that, that she struggled with doing things and that um, other people helped her. And that, but she recognised herself. That well, eventually she did. The only person did. that could do it would be her. And I think if we tell ourselves enough times that we have to go and do it, then we will actually go and do it. And the hardest part is doing it the first time.
1: People often say they've got a little voice inside them. Even when you're at your flattest, inside you there's a positive little voice that's telling you what you should do. And I suppose that's where the energy is going to come from, from listening to the positive little voice in you that's telling you that you've got to go
2: out. Yeah, strengthen that little positive voice to get out there. Look, there is the the physical aspect of it, but If that little voice in your brain tells you that you can't do it, then you won't do it. But if that little voice in your brain is telling you that you can do it, then you will do it.
1: Well, it's strategies, once again. I had that negative voice today. I've come in from home and some, and I'm not going to call him some bloke, some bastard in a Ford Falcon up my bum on the dirt road and he just went flying past, I end up pulling up because I'd get a rock through the thing and I'm thinking, you bastard. If I had seen the past, I would have strangled him. What did I do? I looked at strategies to calm myself down. Radio on, listen to some music, whatever else.
2: So the little voice in your head was saying, I need to turn that radio on because otherwise I'm going to be looking for that bloke. I'm going to be stewing on that bloke. But the little voice, the positive little voice said, If I turn that radio on, me stewing isn't going to continue and it gives you an opportunity then to sort of think about other things and takes me back to the guy driving around there in the tractor listening to that little voice going on, well, I know there's something wrong, what should I do about it? And I'm finding more and more guys and women Ah, actually picking that phone up and we have the ability to do that now because we're so mobile and uh, I'm ever impressed at how many people will pick the phone up while they're
1: driving around on the tractor. We've still got a job to do but with uh, IT and, and, and mobile phones there's an opportunity to multitask. Geez, John, I'm impressed that you've got blokes multitasking now because most <laughs> blokes will say that they can't
2: multitask or
1: their wives
2: will say that it's they can't unsafe. multitask. probably unsafe. I better
1: undo that Yeah, it probably
2: that. is unsafe. But anyway, the multitasking, I think we can all multitask and... Um, that's where it gives us a great opportunity to be able to listen to that positive little voice in our in our mind. And we can Google stuff and we can use our phones for so many different things now. So there's some some amazing apps out there. There's opportunities to connect with professionals over the phone while you're driving round and round. And I don't know how many conversations I've had over the last few years with people on tractors, and I'm three hundred Ks away or five five hundred K's away and they're working in the paddock and we're talking on the phone. So that little voice in the head, when it's working positively, even if it's struggling to work positively, can still pick up that
1: phone. And that and that's what we've heard through all of the podcast. Nearly everybody has used methods and ways of gaining knowledge, gaining an awareness even tapping professional help. I mean, people can go on the Mate Helping Mate website, Beyond Blue, Black Dog, there's stuff there everywhere, you know. It's just a matter of listening to that positive voice, picking up the phone or going to the computer and actually doing it. One of the things you said professionally is normally there's a lot of talk, so you don't have anybody come in, and talk for five minutes. Most of your stuff is longer than that. Is this why when people are flat and sad for longer than, you know, two or three days, they should approach or access a professional or talk to their GPs about how they feel? Just because someone's flat or sad for two or
2: three days doesn't mean that they have to unpack their whole life that could also mean that something's just happened that they're struggling with and they they sometimes we can deal with that reasonably quick what i generally find is that there are other things attached to it so Two or three days of sadness or flatness is generally a good time to talk to a mate and then start to reflect on what else is going on. Uh, And that can lead you to the GP. That can lead you to counselling. So it's complex. It really is. And people are complex. And we have to respect that.
1: I suppose simply it means that if there are things in your life that are starting to niggle at you, that you're starting to worry about, within the initial stages, the first couple of days, definitely within the first week, you probably should convey or tell your mates how you're feeling, how that particular problem is irritating the hell out of you. And perhaps that will minimise the impact that may have on your mental health, mental wellbeing.
2: That's that early intervention stuff. Uh, it's the earlier you can mention something to your mates or family or something like that. The That's the... Best opportunity to sort and resolve things. Uh, a lot of times, I will see people that um, they don't need to be in counselling for a long period of time. Some of the stuff that pops up for people that is really significant for them, generally, we can work through that in a reasonably short time frame. So it doesn't mean that they're completely broken or anything like that. Like some of the other podcasters we've heard their stories, um, and one of the other podcasters talked about he noticed that if he knocked a bolt off the bench in the workshop how berserk he just get angry and uh, and he, he he thought well hang on this is not right this is not who I am and so when we when I see people then they tell me things like that it's like okay is something as. Sitting just over the, just on the surface there, that we need to work our way through. So sometimes it can be just a really short term. So for a better term, uh, a quick fix, um, and that could be over just a couple of sessions. Oftentimes the quick fix stuff is all people sometimes need, and. Uh, doesn't mean they're broken. It's just that stuff sits on our mind and it's like the ageing process. It changes all the time. So stuff sitting on our mind, when we shift one thing off our mind, sometimes something else will float to the surface. The majority of people are uncomfortable when it comes to talking about their mental health. And I think this is a, the other great thing I love about this job is that I can be completely neutral. And I am not their partner, I'm not their brother, I'm not their sister. So I can take a very neutral position. So yes, you can talk to your mates about certain things and that, but you'll only go so far. Where for me, like it's like if I'm talking to someone male or female, it's safe. Counselling is all about talking. It is not about white coats. It's not about lying down on couches and things like that. Counseling is about
1: talking. And the more we can talk, the more comfortable we become. So in finishing up then, is that the beauty of these podcasts and of people like Julie, of ordinary people speaking
2: up? Uh, Ordinary people speaking up. Uh, Some people talk more than others. And at the end of the day, everyone gets there. Like, we make it happen. doesn't matter who you talk to, uh, but professionally, we get there in
1: the end. Well, Posty, I'd like to thank you for being involved with the podcast, and I, and I want to let podcast people know, please, if there's any issues raised here, you know, especially if a crisis is occurring, either to you or to a mate, please contact Lifeline 13 11 14. Otherwise, if you're looking for more information, tap our Mate Helping Mate website. And Posty, thanks once again, and give us the rock number if anybody in the Riverina wants to have a crack at you, buddy. Uh,
2: the rock phone number, 0408 221697. That's 0408 221697.
1: Thanks for uh, sparing your office and having a talk and and sharing your wisdom with us. I think we were quite lucky to get through this without arguing and it looks like we'll be mates for another 10 years. So thanks again, Posty.
2: Thanks, John. Uh, I think we'll be mates whether we argue or not, mate. So uh, it's been really a privilege to be part of this podcast and um, encourage everyone to um, contact someone and talk to someone. Thank you.
3: If there's anything that I've said today that's upset anyone or brought up any issues that you, you think you might need help, please ring Lifeline 13 11 24 7. Don't be afraid, just pick up the phone and do it. They're there to help and the same for your, your partners or your friends or your mates. Um, if you're concerned about someone else and you don't know how to help them and you and you just want to find some help, it's a free service. Just ring Lifeline 13 11 they're always there I know I did it for a friend and it helped her and it's it definitely works so ring the number
0: in finishing a reminder that this podcast featured general information only and we recommend that you get independent advice from a qualified professional like your GP there's plenty of links on the mate helping mate website as well so you can contact service providers across the country head to matehelpingmate.org.au This podcast was a Room 3 production and brought to you by our mates at Gotcha for Life and the Murrumbidgee Primary Health Network. We'd also like to thank Riverina Bluebell and David Post at Rock or Rural Outreach Counselling for their support. You can find out more about these organisations and the great work that they do on our Mate Helping Mate website. Other episodes of this podcast can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher Radio by searching for Mate Helping Mate and hitting subscribe. If you've liked what you've heard, make sure you leave a rating to make it easier for others to find us. You can also head to the Mate Helping Mate website and listen there. And better yet, you can share those links with your friends and family to start a conversation about mental health in the bush. This podcast was produced by Aaron Johnson, Kayla Robertson and AJ Clifford for Room 3, a production company that works with not-for-profits and social enterprise across Australia. We'd also like to give a big shout out to today's guests, David Post from Rock for offering his advice and Julie Andreazza for driving all those owls down to the farm and telling her story. And finally, we've got to thank the man himself, John Harper, for all the years he's travelled this country, tirelessly working to improve mental health in rural and remote Australia. And there's also Mitch for all of her support for John throughout the years and her hospitality to our crew and all the guests who have come out to the farm during this time. Recorded and edited by AJ Clifford. Original music by Southwalk Sounds and stock by Soundstripe. Thank you for listening. Hoping you can move forward and we hope this makes a difference.